Hello and welcome to Working Historians, a podcast series where we discuss what historians do with their lives. I am Rob Denning, the Associate Dean for Liberal Arts History Programs at Southern New Hampshire University's Global Campus. Today I am talking to Shannon Lang, a curator for Blocks to Bricks, a museum dedicated to construction toys in Schaumburg, Illinois. Shannon is also a recent graduate of the SNHU Graduate History Program with the Public History Concentration. In this episode, we are going to discuss her academic and professional background and her career trajectory so far. What is your name and what do you do? Yeah, my name is Shannon Lang and I'm a curator at Blocks to Bricks Museum. That's great. It sounds like a really interesting museum and I'm looking forward to talking about that. Uh, before we get there though, can you talk a little bit about your academic and professional background? How did you become curator of this place and what was your training? So, sort of longer story, I started at Iowa State and then transferred to Southern New Hampshire University and I got my bachelor's in Middle Eastern History in 2016 and took a whole month off and jumped straight into the MA program at SNHU and graduated 2017. Did a couple of small internship things with local history center and at the Field Museum before I started as museum educator and camp director at a small museum in February of 2018 and then was recently just hired for this curator job. So when you were in school, were you, it sounds like you must have been a public history major or public history concentration, I mean? For my master's, yeah. Okay. What was your capstone project on in that? I wrote about and designed an exhibit tour program about Chicago shipwrecks and how those shipwrecks started to influence maritime law. Oh, okay, great. That sounds really interesting. And so you are now working in the museum field, uh, and that's great mm -hmm. to hear that you got into the museum field fairly quickly after graduation, it sounds like. So you said that you are curator for Blocks to Bricks. So what, is a, what does a day in your life look like as a curator? I'm still working on figuring that out since it's a new position, but it's a mixture of retail things since it is a museum located inside a shopping mall, but I'll also be responsible for doing grant work, helping build and design new exhibits, helping maintain the current exhibits, and generally improving the status of the museum since it's now a nonprofit. And you said this is in, it's located inside a sh shopping mall. That's an interesting place to have a museum. Is this a conscious decision to try to engage with a broader public, or is it just a, you know, circumstances, or how did that come about? From what I've been told, I haven't spent too much time working with the owner just yet. He was wanting to do it inside a shopping mall so that it would be more accessible to everyone and it wouldn't necessarily have to be your set destination because it is a small space. So he understands that people don't necessarily want to go somewhere that they're going to spend an hour and then leave. So this way they can take a break from shopping, go look at stuff, continue shopping. And what types of exhibits does this museum hold? It's entirely dedicated to the history of building toys, ranging of all sorts of different materials, like stone, wood, of course, plastic, and a variety of age range. So there's things from the late 1800s, early 1900s, through stuff made last year. Legos, I imagine? Legos, connects, Lincoln Logs, oh, Director yeah. Sets, a little bit of everything. Oh my god, the, the 
eight-year-old me is so jealous of you right now. <laughs> that sounds really cool. We've got a, um, there's a, there's a Lego store, but there's also one of those Lego Discovery, I forget what it's called, Discovery Island or something. It's in one of the yeah. malls here in, um, in Columbus, and it has something like 20,000 square feet of just you know, Legos <laughs> to just go nuts with. It's nothing like what you have, I'm sure. But that just, <laughs> I, I was a Lego geek as a kid. I'm still a Lego geek, and my son is a Lego geek, thankfully, so I have an excuse. But man, that's that's really cool. <laughs> that sounds really cool, anyway. And so, before this point, you said that uh, you were working at a, at a heritage center. What did you do there? I was their museum educator and camp director, where I was in charge of planning and mostly executing any program that the museum could hold, whether it be a craft day where we teach you how to do some form of cultural or historically significant craft, or general education programs, or homeschool classes, or scout programs, and then planning and running the five weeks of history-themed summer camp. And so for these positions, what was the hiring process like? So I'm just kind of stepping back to when you first graduated from your MA history program. How did you start searching for jobs and what was the application process like? And if you could just walk us through, if someone's basically, I'm trying to put ourselves in the shoes of somebody graduating from a, from a, an MA program, how do they start to find these jobs like the ones you found? So for the Skokie Heritage Museum, I got, an, I got lots of emails from AASLH, which is American Alliance of State and Local History, I think. Something to that effect. So, sounds right. And they would send lots of emails for different job listings, and I was looking primarily for around Chicago area since that's where I'm at, and it made more sense to find something here than try and move, at least right away. And this educator job came up, and I applied for it forgot I applied because I hadn't heard anything for a few months and then got an email around the holidays in 2017 and then interviewed twice and they actually gave me sort of a test before as part of that interview process where I had to meet certain recommendations of finding field trip ideas for summer camp for the seven or 11 to 14 year olds that are within like a 45 minute drive of the museum and then come up with activities for homeschool classes that fit certain topics, which I forget offhand. And for the curator job, that one is actually pure dumb luck. <laughs> I went through the museum with one of my friends and when he paid tickets, he noticed that they had a hiring sign and so after we left and realized that it was really cool, he was like, you, you should apply to this and, and work here, and then you can spend all of your time playing with all these toys. And so I sent them an email saying, hey, I've got a master's in know how to work in a museum. Can I work for you? And did an interview with the manager, waited like a week, heard back. They did a second interview with the owner, and they made an offer then and there. So it was a little backwards from what I've gotten used to for applying and getting interviews. Right. Getting the interview is kind of the hardest part in uh, academia and kind of related fields like a lot of history fields, too. That's really great. So in this position, 
Now, it sounds like this is a fairly small institution, as you've been saying, but is it going to be, are you, is it just you and the manager and the owner, or do you have a staff that's going to be working with you? How, how, what is the, the workforce like at this institution? I've only actually been doing work there for like two days as of now, since I was just offered right after Christmas and then the holidays happened. Fair enough. But from my understanding, there's the owner, the manager, and myself will be doing the majority of the museum-related tasks. And then there's three or four other people, I think, that handle the more retail storefront side of it. And he wants to eventually have me do more and more behind-the-scenes, less people-facing, so that the museum can, itself can grow and be better. But a staff of maybe like five or six people. Again, putting ourselves in kind of the shoes of somebody that's coming out of a graduate or even an undergraduate history program, based on your experiences so far, uh, what do you think students should do? It sounds like it works really well for you to join the um, AASLH, whatever that stands for, state and local history, and then you just were basically just kind of keeping an eye on any job listings that were posted there. Uh, Do you have any other suggestions for folks that are looking for a new career in this type of field? The big thing that I've been doing that I found was at least most useful was just watching the job boards and different organizations and signing up for as many of those organizations as I could afford and just kind of creatively searching for jobs under every search term I could come up with relating to a museum job. So I was searching like archivist, curator, assistant to both of those, educator, anything that I could come up with that was tangentially related yeah okay well that makes sense what is your ultimate goal so you're a curator which is that's that's a big deal uh so are you uh in the future is this the kind of the line you want to go in or do you eventually hope to go into a different kind of branch of public history what do you hope to do going forward at this point i'm not really sure my my whole thing since i was in like middle school was that i wanted to be a curator at a museum so now that i'm there i'm not really sure what the next thing would be i hadn't okay. thought that i would actually get that after graduation knowing that right. history is kind of a scary field for actually working right no and that's fine that's uh, i mean you're you're just starting out so no it's perfectly fine that's one of those um uh, job interview type title or questions you always dread hearing. So where do you see yourself in five years? Like, well, <laughs> hopefully working. But <laughs> all right, well that's great. So I'm really glad to hear that this is working out for you and that you've found a good a good fit and that you've found something in your area. That's really uh, helpful too. A lot of people, because of the you know arbitrary nature of working in history-related fields, a lot of people end up having to move away to go find a job. That's really great to hear that you were able to find the one that was close to close to home, so you didn't have to completely uproot your life for this. Do you have anything that you would like to recommend to us all here today? The biggest thing that I learned while I was in school and like right after I graduated, because there was, what, almost six months between finding the museum educator job from when I graduated that I did start to get kind of disheartened by it and afraid that I wouldn't find anything, but then I just kind of kept pushing at it because I knew I worked so hard to get my degree, I might as well keep trying and trying and just force myself to stay persistent even though I was getting a little bummed out about not finding things as quickly as I wanted. 
yeah, that's one of the hardest lessons I think is to just keep at it because it's it is a hard it's a hard field to break into and sometimes you get lucky, uh, oftentimes you don't, and it is full of rejection and you can only survive and keep moving forward if you maintain a kind of a positive attitude and convince yourself to just keep trying because it's really easy to get disheartened. In this field, a lot of people want to be in the history field uh, because there is a huge percentage of the population that likes being part of history, but there aren't as many job openings as there are interested people. And so it is always a challenge to get into the field. And so it does take a lot of persistence. It takes a lot of stubbornness, if you want to call it that. You have to just keep going and keep trying and in spite of all the rejections. And eventually, hopefully, you'll find something that works. And then even if you find something that doesn't really work, it's at least you, hopefully you can use that as a stepping stone for something else that does work later, better, on, uh, better later on, that kind of thing. Did you have any uh, last thoughts on uh, your career that uh, might be interesting to people that are listening in? I've gotten to actually go to a couple of conferences while I was working as the museum educator that they actually paid for, which was really nice. Yeah. Uh, they were conferences in the Chicago area, so I didn't have to deal with the travel stress. But those were at least the one um, this past weekend was American Historical Association Conference. And that was probably one of the strangest things that I have been to. And that it, since it was historians, it was, of course, all people that love history, but it was more exclusively academic historians. So I found myself trying to have conversations with people that are working on their doctorate or teach six classes at a time, as opposed to working with people and developing programs for museums and stuff like that, which was its own bizarre creature. Yeah, the AHA conferences, they are strange. It's its huge. There's thousands of people wandering around, and there's dozens of panels going at any one time. It is kind of overwhelming. I mean, I, I haven't been there in a few years. Um, I, I need to get going back to those again but um it is it is huge and when i the first time i went was when i was actually still in graduate school and i was just wrapping up my ma degree and i had no idea what i wanted to do with the degree and so i went to this that the aha conference hoping that that might give me some ideas and i was just overwhelmed and i just felt lost the whole time and i when i left <laughs> i had no idea still had no idea what i wanted to do because there were people like you said that you i was mainly talking to people that were that were already phd's or were in phd programs they were already published they were presenting papers or the other people that i tended to run into were the the people that were there for job interviews which okay. had the that whole side of it the um I forget what they call it. Was it the job, job farm or oh shoot, I forget what they call it. But they they have a whole wing of the hotel with like rooms reserved for people to do interviews for uh, yeah. academic jobs and all of that. And so on the one hand, you had all of these people that were already established historians, and then you've also got all the grad students, and then you also have all the job applicants who, of course, have this kind of air of you know, desperation and despair <laughs> and terror because they were going to be interviewing with people. And so it was just a very, it is a very weird mix of, of people. You don't tend to have that same type of mix at some of the smaller conferences, mm -hmm. 
it's just AHA being the, I mean, it is, it's the AHA, of course. So it's the, you know, the worldwide premier history organization. So I guess if, of course, that meeting is going to be chaotic, but it is quite a production. And um, it is something that I recommend everyone do it at least once in their life, just to get a sense of what, you know, it's, it's like the, um, the Disneyland of the history profession or something where you just get to see all historians of all shapes, sizes, and status <laughs> all in one place yeah. interacting and bumping into each other and uh some people drinking <laughs> and all, all of that so it's yes. a really interesting <laughs> experience i'm glad i'm glad you went to it uh because it it's quite a sight it was definitely interesting given that with current situation with the whole shutdown that there was actually a lot of people that were supposed to be there either presenting or recruiting that couldn't be because they weren't allowed to actually travel um, so oh, there yeah. was supposed to be a bunch of people from like the Smithsonian that just couldn't, so they had to find some other way to get someone else that wasn't affiliated to present their work for them, which was oh, wow. a bizarre and clearly uncomfortable for everyone's situation. Oh, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. That would be crazy. Well, so overall, would you um, recommend it to people? I mean, I just did, obviously. But do you, do you think it's some, it's worthwhile for folks in your profession to pursue, or should they be focusing more on public history-type organizations? It's definitely something worthwhile, because they did have stuff, some things dedicated to people in public history, and even more specifically the museum track, though some of the museum things are geared more towards bigger places. So that's something to kind of take and look at and see if it can be twisted into a smaller museum setting. But otherwise, you at least meet some really interesting people. And I got to talk with some other students that are actually working on their MA in public history at a reception that they hosted. Now that you mentioned that, I think the year that I went there, I think the AHA held their meeting in conjunction with the Public History Group. What is it? National Council of Public Historians, I think it is. I think they held their conference at the same time. So there was actually a much more larger, probably the normal percentage of public historians there. But they don't they don't do that every year. I think this year it was in conjunction with the MLA or something. Um, yep. Yeah. So there are some years where they where they combine them both into one mega thing between regular like academic historians and public historians, and that I can just imagine would be like this perfect storm that would just <laughs> lay a city to waste or something under the weight of historians. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I'm glad you went. I'm glad you had a. At least sounds sounds like you had a, an interesting time at least. Yes. You do make a good point that the larger museum organizations are probably a bit overrepresented at places like this. The smaller ones. Prob- probably often can't afford to send representatives, and so mm-hmm. it's smaller operations probably tend to be underrepresented at those places. And so it's good to hear that you were able to go. What, was it actually in? It was actually in Chicago this year, right? Yeah. So I was able to just travel from home and not have to pay for a hotel or flights or anything. Excellent. Costly. Great. Well, I'm going to recommend a book called The Last Full Measure, How Soldiers Die in Battle by Michael Stevenson. I'm not a military historian, but this one kind of jumped out at me because it is the story not of necessarily of military history, but it's just about how soldiers have 
died <laughs> in battle. Like what what actually killed them on the battlefield? It's not a traditional military history in that it's not talking about, you know, troop movements or this unit moving over there in support of that unit. None of that stuff. It's just about when the soldiers die, how do they how do they die? And so it talks about the basically going back to the beginning of human history. How did humans die? So the first couple of chapters are all about how getting stabbed, <laughs> getting hit by rocks, <laughs> getting uh, smacked by spears. Um, and then it would talk about getting, you know, the, in, during the medieval period, how armor might protect you, but it also might not. And then when you get into the Civil War and the World War One, we start to get the more mechanized weaponry and all that. It just talks about how, you know, how bullets kill people and how how often do people die from things like artillery blasts versus rifle blasts versus bombs <laughs> and so it's just a really interesting story about how people actually died one of the interesting parts to it to me anyway is that it, it tries to represent you know the generals whose names we all know but it also tries to talk about all of the thousands of foot soldiers who die that are never named in the battles and so it talks a lot about how so you'd have 10,000 people getting mowed down by machine gun or whatever. And then it talks about what happens to those to those people afterward. Most of them get buried in a mass grave or the artillery continues to shell the bodies and just to completely obliterate them over time. So it's just it's interesting that it talks about the foot soldier, the infantrymen, whatever you want to call them, and the generals, because military history when we hear about things like the civil war and all that we always make a big deal about hearing about oh you know general stonewall jackson died in this battle and so it was such a sad event and all that but we don't know the names of the other twenty thousand people that died at that battle and so this book doesn't this doesn't go through and name all those twenty thousand people but it tries to kind of talk about what did those twenty thousand guys face when they were charging into battle and all that so it kind of traces their okay you get the order you start running this is what's going to happen to you you get you run you know 30 yards and then you start getting hit by artillery fire and then you run the next 30 yards you start getting hit by rifle fire and so it just talks about kind of the ex the experience that the guys on the ground faced in these conflicts throughout human history and it makes for a really interesting read it's a sad read because oh my god people died in such horrible ways and it's also not just the people that died. It also talks about, you know, the number of wounded. X percentage of soldiers left the battlefield with amputations, that kind of thing, to, just to give you a sense of how. And, of course, most people that got amputations, they died later anyway. Most, most wounds lead to death. So it's all kind of tied together. But anyway, it's an interesting book. It's a way to tell interesting military history for those of us that are not military historians who don't get, want to get bogged down in troop movements and all of that. So thank you, Shannon, for joining us today. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this is great. And thank you all for joining us today. If you have any questions or comments on this podcast or suggestions for future episodes, please send me an email, like always, to workinghistorians at gmail.com. For Shannon Lang, I am Rob Denning. See you in two weeks. <laughs>